Uh, his love is the foundation of our life, that journey of faith, continuing to grow in that experience of his love. Paul prays for the believers in Ephesians. It's one of my favorite texts because it's the journey of life. I pray that you would have a fuller understanding and experience of the width, of the depth, and of the breadth, and the height of God's love. That's what it's about. Nothing better. And I, nothing better than I uh, being with you all on Sunday mornings to enjoy God together. And for those of you online, I know it's not quite the same as being with us here, but man, we are glad to be connected uh, even uh, through technology with you this morning. And, and a special shout out to Stan and Barbara Shields. I got to talk with them this week. And uh, there, we still consider you a part of our fellowship, but they moved up near Sacramento to a little place called Rockland. But they are in a few days celebrating their 75th wedding anniversary. Yeah, yeah. So Stan and Barbara, uh, uh, we, we, we love y'all and uh, uh, have, a, have, have a, a great day. And, and it's great to be connected uh, virtually with y'all. Now, life... Life is simply a series of questions that we answer, limitless questions. Now, we do this so regularly and so often, and there are so many questions that we deal with and answer every day that I don't think we even think about it. It starts with, what time should I get up? After I get up, is today a shower day? Uh, we're hoping for this morning in this heat. The answer to that for most of us was yes. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat for breakfast? We deal with so many questions throughout a day, and, and they don't end. Where are we going to go? Is it, how long are we going to spend there? We're just constantly dealing with questions. Then there are bigger questions in life that we think of as questions that are a little more, more obvious. You know, when we're growing up, uh, you know, after we finish high school, do I want to go to college? Should I get a job? If I'm going to get a job, what's the job going to be? If I'm, if I'm uh, going to go to college, what school do I go? What do I study? What cl uh, classes? Life is just a, a, a series of, of, of questions. They're all around us. We live in this world where there are limitless questions. We're living in a culture here in America that's moving away from what we would call a God-fearing foundation of how social values and social issues ought to be related. So what do we do? Particularly if we've got kids, how do we prepare them? How, 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 how do we protect them? How long is this thing going to go on in Ukraine? If the Russians get access to their nuclear reactors, what are the potential impact for the world? Guys, we just deal with questions constantly. Is there something we can be doing to help the folks? There's no end to the questions we wrestle with. Then there are those questions that really start to carry a weight on us. When inflation, you guys have heard number of costs are going up here in America. You heard about the COVID thing and the impact and just the regular challenges of making a living and paying bills when it looks like we may not have money, enough money. What are we going to do? How do we respond? What should we do? When we're struggling physically and we ask, 
should I go to the doctor? Now, my doctor is a friend of mine and a part of this fellowship. I have no problem going to my doctor with anything. Because if he can take away this pain and fix it, I'm going to go there. But should I go to the doctor? What if it's nothing? And the doctor tells me it's nothing. This is just personal philosophy, nothing to do with a sermon. I'm happy to pay my doctor to tell me it's nothing. But what about when we hit that stuff when it's not nothing? What are the implications longer term? I got a good buddy that was just diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He's facing all kinds of questions. His family facing all kinds of questions. How do you treat this? How do you deal with this? What's going on? Relational challenges. You know, is God ever going to bring somebody into my life with whom I can have a romantic relationship and maybe get married? Is that ever going to happen? Some, we've been married and then we're married for a while and we're like, hmm, this is not going the way I thought it should. Am I supposed to stay? Am I supposed to work this out? How do I make this better? Dream of kids and then kids grow up and I don't know if you haven't had kids or they're young yet, they bring challenges. How do I respond to these challenges? They think in crazy ways and they take money and what am I supposed to do? We get aging parents. When do we need to intervene for their own health? When do we, how do we go forward? There's no answer. There's no end to the, the, the limit of the number of questions we deal with regularly. But we're dealing with, and it's most weeks, and most specifically this week, the most important question that our answer to this determines how we're going to deal with everything else in life. The most important question is, who is Jesus? And depending on how we answer that question, has an impact not only on our eternal destiny, but on how much of the abundant life we enjoy right now. So you may be sitting here this morning or online and wondering, should I really trust this Jesus guy? This is the most important question. The essence of Christianity, if you want to boil it down and distinguish it from every other religion, it's all rooted in this, who is Jesus? Not only for eternity, but for life today. And if you're thinking about whether or not you want to treasure him, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're with us today and hopefully we'll answer that question. But if you're here today and you already have the theological answer that you think is right and probably is right, but the burdens of life are weighing you down more than you would like, this is still the question that must be addressed. Because answering this question is about providing us joy, happiness, security, and peace, not only for eternity, but today. And it's all rooted here. So we're going to pick up a text, and we've been following along in John, and the Pharisees are finally going to get to this place of been having an ongoing dialogue with Jesus. Just tell us, are you the Christ or not? That's what they're going to ask. And Jesus is going to answer, I've told you, I am. And he's going to say, I've also shown you. Here's the text. 
At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. Now, the Feast of Dedication. In about 167, 68 BCE, the Syrians came in and took over Jerusalem and they captured the temple. They actually uh, 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 put uh, an idol of Zeus up in the temple. In about 164, Judas Maccabeus, uh, or Maccabee, literally Judas the Hammer, got these Jews together and they revolted. They even practiced some guerrilla warfare and they recaptured the temple. And they started this holiday. We know this holiday. You might have heard of it as, anybody know? Hanukkah. So that's what they're dealing with of about 160 years later. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? <laughs> if you're the Christ, will you just spit it out? Tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you not, do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are the Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answers them, It is not written in your law, I said, you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him of whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said I'm the son of God. If I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. And again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true and many believed in him there father i pray as we look at this text i pray that you would bring a greater clarity to each of our eyes to each of our hearts about who jesus is i pray that we would leave here with that question answered a little better I pray that you would help us to navigate that road too where intellectually we can convey this. But sometimes our emotions betray that we're not holding to that as deeply as we could. My prayer, because the only way this happens is through the power of your Holy Spirit. We're involved, we think, we act. But God, this is where we need you to help us see who your son is with greater clarity. Oh, Father. Help us to see the grace, the beauty, the glory, the love, the mercy, the care of Jesus. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first idea here, Jesus says, I've shown you who I am. And two big ideas through John here. The first one, I am God. Now this is what's ticking them off and we're going to pull it apart. And I am the Savior. Now, he's not come out specifically in the big groups and, and said this stuff, but that's what he's already 
shown them. And this is essential theology for us. We talk about the incarnation, God leaving the glory of heaven and becoming a human being. And this is absolutely essential. Now, they're not wrestling with him being a man. Why? Because he's right in front of them. He was raised by uh, uh, Joseph and Mary. He's a carpenter's son. He's a carpenter by training. They're not wrestling with whether or not he's a man. Now, that, there are folks throughout Christian history that have wrestled with that. The docetus, docao, from to know. John, the gospel writer here, addresses this in his first epistle. They're not wrestling with whether or not Jesus is God. They're wrestling with whether Jesus is a man. And they go, we got these new insights from heaven. Though he's God, he's not really a human being. Now, John, in the first epistle, calls folks that deny the humanity of Christ antichrists. I think he'd be just as strong as those who want to deny his divinity. Jesus had to be a human being because it's human beings that sinned. For that price to be paid, had to be a human being, but also had to be God because I could do for you. Just let me tell you, it wouldn't do you any spiritual good. It had to be God to convey the power of our being converted. So I am God and I am the Savior. So what are the works he's done that have demonstrated this as we've looked through John? What do these guys know has happened? He turned water into wine. I don't know about you, but I've never been able to do that. You know, you drink enough wine, you can turn it into some other stuff, but you, I've never been able to turn water into wine. And, and the woman at the well, he knew all these things about her life. She was amazed. You remember, she went and testified, and other people believed because of her testimony. Because she understood that there's something special about this guy. The lame man at the pool who didn't appear that, 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 that grateful to Jesus. Jesus came up to him and just said, hey, go walk. And, and, and he walked. The feeding of the 5,000, five loaves and, and two fish. Look at the stuff he's done. He's walked on water. Walked on water. He's trying to testify as to who he is. And back in, in John chapter 9, most recently, and we're still in the crux of the conversation that resulted from him healing the blind man. You remember they brought the blind man, the religious leaders, the Pharisees before him. You remember what he said? Deny Jesus. He healed you on the Sabbath. He broke these stupid rules that they had made up. You remember what the blind man said? I don't know whether he's a sinner, but this I know. I was blind and now I see. And at the end of that text, more importantly, more significantly than his physical sight being restored, he saw Jesus as the Son of Man, that prophecy from Daniel 7. And he came to faith because Jesus was demonstrating who he is. He's, he's God. Jesus said, I've also already told you. You guys tell me, you ask me to tell you plainly, I've showed you and I've told you. Now, he's not come out and said the words other than I think you could, you, you could deal with the woman at the well and the blind man in personal conversations where he revealed more specifically this. But in the general conversations, I've told you who I am, I'm God and I am the Savior. Now, this isn't Jesus speaking, this is John. This is the first verse in the book. Getting that Jesus is God is an important idea. Here's what John, here's how he starts the book. In the beginning was the Word, Lagos, referring to Jesus, the essence of truth and all that stuff. And the Word was with God, and the Word was what? John, don't miss this as the biblical author. This is a stinking big idea. This guy who we don't have to doubt whether or not he's a human being, he is God. And part of the reason he writes that, why? 
Because he's going to write a book where everybody doubts that. Now, this is where, in my estimation, we often get too hard on the Pharisees. Somebody comes up to me and claims to be God. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to doubt them. I think sometimes we go, oh, how short-sighted, how stupid are they? That guy's claiming to be the invisible spirit who created all of the cosmos. This is not an easy thing to buy. But Jesus has said back in John 5, after he healed the lame man, my father is working until now and I am working. This is his way of telling them. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he wasn't breaking the Old Testament law of the Sabbath, he's breaking their perspective of the rules they added. But he was even calling God his own father. They're understanding what he is saying in, in more of these vague terms, making himself equal with God. In John 8, long dialogue there with the, the Pharisees and Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am an unmistakable reference to what God said to Moses as he's trying to get him the big coward that he was to go into Egypt. Who should they say sent me? The guy who's always existed. The guy for whom there is no beginning or end. Because I'm God. So... They're getting it. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The text that Stephen did, and Stephen did a, a, a wonderful job with this text last week. But you remember, just preceding the text we're in is where Jesus uh, laid out this figurative language, and John points that out about Jesus being the shepherd and the gate. So Jesus uh, again, said, again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, hey, pay attention, truly, truly. I'm the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. He's talking about the religious leaders there. That's the comparison. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If you're here today and the weight of the stuff you're not quite experiencing that abundant life? Here's my encouragement. Let's keep asking this question, who is Jesus? Jesus is the guy that says, for my sheep, I came to give you life abundantly. And we bought this view of the world that's way too prevalent. You know what abundant life is? No sickness, no disease, all the money I want, and circumstances work perfectly always. You know how many people that has worked for in the history of the world? None yet. How do we get this abundant life? By answering this question, who is Jesus? And who is Jesus then? To me. Because there's the key to the abundant life, even when the world like, looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket. This is not new. Peter talks about inexpressible joy in the midst of suffering in 1 Peter 1. One of my favorite texts. Did I read this text yet? I forgot where I was. I didn't read the end of it, did I? Let's pick it up at verse 10 and whatever else I had, pull in and ask one of the other pastors what it's about. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. In this context, he's talking about the religious leaders. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Oh, I did get that far. I am the good shepherd. I'm the one that leads the sheep, and I'm the one that will die for the sheep. Here's what a shepherd does, the good shepherd. Now, I think Stephen dealt with it, but you know being called sheep is not necessarily a compliment. I think he addressed that a little bit, but we had a a guy that had hundreds of sheep when I lived back in Iowa, my first gig. Sheep are just stinking stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. They're cute, they're cuddly, but they're dirty and smelly. They literally won't even come in from the rain on their own. They have to be led and provided for and taken care of like a newborn infant. So, sheep, where the sheep? That ain't Jesus being all that nice. But he loves us. So he lays down his life for the sheep. And despite Jesus' work in his words, so many reject him. At the time of the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking to the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe. I made it clear. I've told you. And I've demonstrated. And then he adds these words. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Now this can be more challenging. I heard a pastor preach on this. Oh, it was years ago. He got to this part of the text, and this is how he preached it. You're not my sheep because you don't believe. Now, that is absolutely true. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, the reason you don't believe is that you're not my sheep. He is unmistakably alluding to God's sovereignty in this process of our coming to faith. It's not just us being smart enough to figure it out. What ought to keep us humble is our understanding from Scripture. We don't get this unless God moves in our hearts and in our heads to get this. Or nobody would come to faith. Why does he say this to these guys? As they're trying to kill him and as they're trying to reject him? What he's trying to say to them and to everybody else, including us, roughly 2,000 years years later, don't ever think that God's not in control in accomplishing his will. Even in the midst of, this ain't a matter of me just not being smart enough to convince you guys. I've given you evidence. I've told you. The reason you got it, and it starts to go back to John 3 with Nicodemus, where they're talking about how do you be born again. And Jesus essentially says to Nicodemus, you ask him, what do I do? Hey, Jesus says the Spirit's got to blow in your heart. Now, we're responsible for choosing. We got to choose. But we don't ever think this is a choice somehow outside of God's spirit prompting and moving in our hearts. And if you're here today and you still haven't decided whether or not you want to treasure Christ, here is my unmistakable confidence. The spirit is blowing and working in your life. Keep thinking. Keep pursuing. Keep going. Because that's evidence that God is doing his thing. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, they're getting the theology right. 
They're getting the theology that you'll find out. It is not good for it is not for the good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you're claiming to be God, because you being a man, make yourself God. Their interpretation is accurate. It is blasphemy, except for one little piece of uh, the business. He actually is God. <laughs> but no, the, they are finally understanding him and they are getting it. But he is God, so if you're God and you claim to be God, I just want to be clear, is that blasphemy? Now, he's going to say something here, and I'm going to work through it pretty quickly. And if you have some questions, come to me. I think Jesus here now, as these guys are amped up, they're getting angry. He's, he's going to use a tact. He's going to refer to Psalm 82, and it's just a diversionary tactic. I think it's, I think it's primarily just to get them to pause. It's amping up. They want to kill him. We're getting closer to its death. Jesus answered them in, in, in verse 34, is it not written in your law, Psalm 82, I said you are gods. Human beings there, leaders, are being referenced as gods. And the word is Elohim there. If he called them gods, if he called these people back in the Old Testament gods, gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, scripture is from God, do you say of him who the Father consecrated, Jesus, and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I am the Son of God? In other words, if Scripture referenced other human beings as gods, why are you getting your underwear uh, in a bundle over me? Go back to Psalm 82 if you want to wrestle with that. Just human leaders back there, but they are called gods. He's just trying to get them to, I think, pause while they're getting angry. <clears throat> and if I'm doing the works of my Father, then do not believe. If I'm, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. This is what I love about Jesus. These guys are getting heated. They're getting ticked. He's still encouraging them to consider who he is. I love this. You know, if I'm Jesus, I pretty much wash the dust off my feet, speak angrily towards them, and move on. Even in this case, Jesus is saying, uh, uh, if you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Despite his works, despite his words, lots of people reject him. Still true today. This message, just that God became a human being. If you weren't raised in the church, please understand that sounds like nonsense. And if you were raised in the church, I'm going to encourage you to think about it till you get to the point where you go, that sounds like nonsense. And then go, but it's true based upon the scriptures and the authority there. Once I got there, I'm just going to tell you, my understanding of who Jesus was just exploded. Once I realized this is ridiculous, this is absurd. The only thing that doesn't make it ridiculous and absurd is... It's true. That piece makes it not so absurd, but it's like this God is crazy, and Jesus' work and words bring many to treasure him. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep, my sheep hear my voice. He's talking about this relationship, Right? We're thinking, we're processing, we're trying to figure this out. But here's how you know the sheep. They hear the voice of Jesus and they go, oh man, that's credible. This guy is God and he's the Savior. He knows us. 
And because we know him and adore him and follow him, we treasure him. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Two weeks ago when I borrowed the metaphor from Brian in his sermon, but the spiritual journey and figuring out who Jesus is and all that stuff, it brings us to that place where we're hanging from the edge of the precipice. Those of you who were here two weeks ago, if you remember that, we're hanging on the edge of a cliff and, 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 and we look down and it's eternal damnation, it's misery in this life. And then we look up though and we see Jesus. What changed about my life and my faith was when I realized he should just let me go. God would be glorified. I would get what I deserve. He should just let me go and fall into the eternal abyss. But he didn't. Instead, you look up and you finally get to this place. This is part of becoming one of his sheep where you look up and you see Jesus, the nail prints in his hand, reaching down. He grabs us by the shirt collar and pulls us up. Once we get up on top of the ground and we're no longer going to follow into the abyss, what do we want to do? I tell you what I want to do. 40 years later, I still want to hug that guy. In fact, I want to hug him more today than I did 40 years ago. I understand that abyss even more thoroughly today. Oh, this guy is good. That's what he means by follow him. Then he goes on, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Once we come to be his sheep and become part of his fold, he wraps his loving arms around us and he holds us tight and we will never be lost for all eternity from from what we enjoy in his presence. And I think it's more than that. It's, It's about the abundant life we come when we realize God just has his loving arms around us. Now, do we question that sometimes when life gets tough? Feels like to me we do. We have to go back and ask again, who is Jesus? Who's the guy that paid the price for our life, wants to give us abundant life, and no one, no one will take us from him. And more than that, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. When we finally see the truth of who Jesus is, and we come to follow him, we embrace Jesus, here's the promise. Jesus and the Father wrap their loving arms around us and hold us so secure and so tight. Now, some of you have noticed I have a tattoo on my left arm. I get two questions when people notice it. The first one, is that a tattoo? I say yes. The second question is, did you do it yourself? (laughs) I went to a tattoo artist, but it's actually my writing, and it's R-I-L-Y-A in my writing. Remember, I'll love you always. I started when Julie and I were in college and dating, signing my notes to her, R-I-L-Y-A. My kids, when they were growing up, I wanted them to have the security of my love. So the last thing I'd say to my kids when I put them to bed, kiss them goodnight, was, remember, I'll love you, for, for, uh, I'll love you always, forever and ever, no matter what. Now, I have a vivid imagination. My no matter what, I could think of a lot of things, but I meant it. I wanted my kids to enjoy then. I still want them to enjoy, even though they're all adults now, the security of being loved by me. That's what I want them to know. Because I'll tell you, there's nothing like that security that comes with being loved. 
got to enjoy that in my home as I grew up, and I wanted my kids, no matter what challenges they faced in life, to know this. I will love you and love you forever and ever, no matter what. This text here, that snatch on my hand, this is Jesus with this tattoo for us. I love you forever. I love you. I love you. I love you. I want you to live your life. I want you to have an abundant life. Here's where it's rooted. Not in our circumstances going the way we always want. Because my kids, I'll tell you, I didn't actually always give them what they wanted. <laughs> you know why? Because <laughs> I loved them. Did they trust me oftentimes as young kids? No. But God's saying to us, I love you. I know what's best for you. I'm trying to draw you to myself no matter what that tension is. Relationships in the marriage, relationship with our parents, uh, challenge with the money, whatever it is, health, whatever it is. Here's God saying, remember, I love you forever. <sighs> That's what this text is. Oh, and God is always working through his children to draw others to Jesus. John ends this text in a place I wouldn't expect. Jesus said, I've shown you and I've told you. We have this discussion at the end of the, the interaction with these guys. Uh, uh, they're trying to kill him, but Jesus escapes. Then John adds these verses, John the gospel writer. And I think he's trying to get us to understand again. God is working, but he works through his people. So you get to the very end, and, and here's what John says. So Jesus went a, away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man, about Jesus, was true. See those last words there? The Pharisees, the guys that should have known better. They're hearing from Jesus himself. They got the evidence, and they don't believe and yet these guys that heard from John met Jesus and went, and many believed in him there. Now, why weren't those Pharisees believing? Why does Jesus tell us? Because they weren't his sheep. But there were folks out there. And so I think John wants to end this by saying, in terms of this journey where everybody is, uh, God is in control and he continues to draw people to himself from the text last week. He's pulling in his sheep that are not of this fold yet. He's still doing that. He still works through people. Art and Marty Wilson, would you come up here? Which one do you want? Seven or eight? <laughs> this is Art and, and, and Marty Wilson. God still works through people to draw us to him faith. So if you wouldn't mind sharing just a little bit, Marty, of how you came to, to treasure Christ. I did not have an, an idyllic childhood. I had an alcoholic father. I had a mom that was a teacher and worked two jobs to support her three kids. So I grew up thinking, okay, the way to be successful is to work hard and count on yourself to take mm -hmm. care of yourself. So I started working at 16 uh, went into a couple of corporate jobs and was doing what I thought was fairly well until I hit my midlife. And all of a sudden I didn't feel good, it was a lot of pressure, and I realized I need something more. So in one of my exercises, 
exercise classes, a fellow by the name of Roland Elder came up and invited me to his church. And he says, just down the road, why don't you come on Sunday? Happens to be RCC. Happened to be RCC. So I came, I sat in the very back row. I didn't want anyone to talk to me. I just want to listen and get out. So that's what I did the first time. Many of you in the back row still know that feeling. <laughs> the second time I came, uh, a lovely gal sat next to me. And she said, you know, there's a women's study group that meets. You should come with me. And I thought, well, what do I have to lose? I might as well go. So I went to that group, and that's where I met Reba Collins. And Reba Collins became my angel and my mentor. Hmm. And she still, to this day, is both of those. I bet you. And so other people, I'm sure, influenced, but those would have been two primary people that God used, like he's using John the Baptist up here to help these guys, but two folks that help you come to faith. Yes, and I would just like to say that I was 45 years old when I came to know Jesus. So two years ago. So two years ago. <laughs> That's a great story. And, and Art then, uh, you guys are married at this time. And Art, what, what's your journey to, to really passionately treasure Christ? Well, it's a, it's a short journey, uh, not a lot to it. I grew up in the Baptist church. I grew up in Lakewood. And we always went to the Baptist church. And I learned to treasure Jesus there. I learned about Jesus, um, took him very seriously. And then as time goes on, um, I kind of got away from the journey a little bit, put the journey on pause. And I could see that um, there was a lot of bad behavior going on in churches. So with that, church people? Yeah, with church people. Oh, don't break my heart, Art. I know. Yeah, I know. Well, you have a name for it, but... Uh, anyway. What's the name? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Yeah. So, so you got confronted with that, and it, it had a pretty real impact on your view of uh, going to church and... Correct. Yeah. And then Marty started going to RCC. And so I'm looking at Marty, and gee, Marty's kind of changing, and I'd like to change. And so uh, I thought, well, uh, hmm, I'll go to RCC a couple of times. So then, as time went on, I, didn't, I wasn't going regularly. But one day she said, you know, and there was some turmoil going on at RCC, by the way, and it was finally getting cleared up. And so Marty comes to me. Long time day, ago. Long time ago. Yeah. So Marty comes to me and says, well, you know, we got this new pastor that's going to be coming in. And there's a lot of, they say he's really great. He's coming from someplace up in on the uh, west coast here up in Washington. And uh, he's going to be here, and I think you should come and see him. So I thought, well, okay, I'll come and see this smoking hot pastor and see what, <laughs> see what this is all about. And, and so I go and see this smoking hot pastor, right? And he's really good, you know, and I'm enjoying it. And I tell you, the thing that I was looking for at that point was the genuineness, because I was still de dealing with the hypocrisy kind of thing. So after about the first couple sermons, I look and uh, I see this, this guy has to be genuine. Anyone that slaps their head as many times as he does <laughs> and preaches from the top of a 12-foot ladder, do you remember that? That was the illustration a long time ago, but keep going. Okay. <laughs> that this has to be genuine, and then that kick-started my, uh, my journey right there, and I haven't, I haven't stopped. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. And uh, you met another guy, Ken Kemp? Ken, you? And Ken Kemp, actually that same day after I saw Todd the first time, and this was only a second or third time preaching, Ken Kemp, he was sitting right there. He walked up, had this big smile on his face, 
I was hooked. I couldn't get away. And God uses people. Here's yes. part of the point here. God uses people to reveal this Jesus and still going on uh, through us. Now, a couple of months ago, would you mind telling us just what happened to your brother sure. Walt and, and your brother-in-law? Just tell us a little bit about Walt. Well, I have a twin brother, identical twin brother, and uh, he's always been fighting cancer and various um, illnesses through his life. And uh, finally, the uh, cancer kicked in very aggressively about uh, uh, probably the first of the year. And the doctors pretty much said there was nothing more they could do for him. End of June, first part of July. And so um, um, we had always been, this is Marty, myself, and Walt's daughter, a real Christian lady, um, we were all three of us talking, what are we going to do about Walt? We got to do something about Walt. Because though he grew up like you did, he had really discarded Christ completely. In fact, Todd, it got to the point where whenever I would bring it up, and we would bring it up occasion, he would never ask any questions. And that was very disappointing. And so the three of us were really kind of worried about Walt and didn't really think that anything was going to happened with him with his relationship with Jesus. So we were Because for a lot of years you'd been trying to promote Christ with him and he was absolutely no go, completely resistant to Christ. I mean, he was kind and he was, uh, but he just didn't ask any questions. He yeah. didn't want to take it any further. So we didn't know what that was all about. But, but then, um, uh, then he got sicker and sicker and one afternoon uh, we went over to his house to be with him. And um, that's where Marty takes over. And how long ago was this? This was 1st of July. 1st of July. Yes. So he's, he didn't have long in this life unless God were to do a miracle. And what happened, Marty? This was the last 10 days of his life. Okay. And when we walked in, his wife pulled me aside and said, you know, Walt wanted to be sitting up and dressed when you guys got here. And I thought, oh, that was really nice. So we walked in, and he was sitting up, and you could tell he was really sick. Mm -hmm. uh, but we walked in, Art sat down next to him, and I grabbed his hand, and I said, how are you doing, honey? And he said, I asked for forgiveness. So I replied, from who? <laughs> <laughs> we want to be clear on this <laughs> we stuff. We want to yeah. be clear. This is big stuff. No more important question. No more important question. And he said, from God. And I said, oh, my gosh. So we started rejoicing after that, obviously. Well, then, after he said that, you know, I've been coming to RCC long enough now to know that uh, one of Todd's big thing is making sure that everybody not only shows up to church but has the right theology so that they get their self in heaven. And that's what I was worried about with Walt. So I had a number of conversations with him after he made his confession. Uh, in this, the, at this time, he was in the hospital, of course. Um, and he couldn't talk a whole lot, but I knew he was there. I mean, his brain was 100% there. So we're talking, and, and I, 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 I had covered this a couple times. I said that, you know, remember, when you think about Jesus and you accept Jesus as your Savior, it's got to come from more from here. It's got to come from here also. So I'm sitting there one day and uh, towards the end, and... We're talking, and I remind him again that, remember, we know you love Jesus now, but it can't come from here. It's got to come from here. Now, he couldn't say too much, but he lifted his hand under the covers, put it on top, and went like this. Hmm. Absolutely. I applaud it. I applaud Holy it. Holy cow. 
And that wasn't his only expression that he got that it had to come from here. And I just know from the way I knew my brother, that it came from his heart. Yeah, pretty cool. And he pretty is cool. now in the immediate presence of Jesus. Hallelujah. So we wished he'd have enjoyed more of the abundant life in walking with Jesus here. He, 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 he missed out on some of that, but he's in heaven and now. And, and part of this is, folks, that I we're... Want, I want to give an encouragement. Oh, you want to give an encouragement? Why don't you just finish the sermon? I go ahead. No, I just... This will be perfect. Let's go back here. We'll go here. <laughs> don't you love him? <laughs> I, I just want to encourage each of you that no matter what your issue is or your concern is, we would have many, many discussions over dinner about Walt and what can we do, what should we do, what should we say, but we always held on to hope mm. because we have Jesus. That's a great way. So hold on to hope and pray. Never stop. And he's using us to help other people see the glory of, of, of Jesus. Uh, Father, we love you, and we're grateful right now. We praise you for welcoming Walt. When he breathed his last, there you were looking at him because he understood. Your son Jesus is not just a human being, but he is almighty God, and uh, he, is, he, is, he is our Savior. Oh, Father, thank you for working in Walt's heart. We don't know all those dynamics. We don't understand completely other words. But he's now with you, completely forgiven, because uh, you love us and because you sent your son to his cross. For those of us still in this world, I pray that you'll help us never to lose hope in our own lives, in those we love. But I pray that we would keep being able to answer that question. Who is Jesus? He is God and he is our Savior and he and the Father have their loving arms wrapped around us. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the issues are, they love us. They love us and they will never, ever let go of us. Father, thank you for that hope. Thank you for that encouragement. May that sustain us in all circumstances. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, guys.